due to leaks in pipes and other water infrastructure, the U.S. loses enough water every year to meet the annual supply to its 10 largest cities. This is why our pump station business, branded Averamod, is so important and is growing so fast because a pipe may or may not leak, but a pump station is a connection point which has all kinds of joints and pumps, and it is a major source of leakage. And we have these high-density polyethylene envelopes, which are under patent, worldwide patent, that provide a up to a 100-year life cycle for these pump stations. And since it's comp pricing competitive with the stuff that degrades after 20 years, mostly cities, but also large corporations that, that need this kind of stuff, they say, well, what the heck? I might as well get something that's not going to leak for many, many years. So leak-proof pump stations, I think, are the future, and you're going to be hearing a lot more about that. Welcome, everyone. And yes, that's a look into the future because Averamod uh, leak-proof pump stations is going is booming. We're doing an amazing job. I think I might cover that uh, next week um, with Dan because that's our 2020 three um, development, how we developed Water on Demand in 2022, and now it's rolling out in 2023. Similarly, we're going to develop Veramod as a separate business in 2023 to roll out in 2024. It's super exciting. Now, um, pump station is actually a different business because it's primarily sold to uh, large corporations, municipalities. This is not your single site brewery type thing because it's about you know making water go back and forth, dirty water or clean water. So it's a slightly different audience, but it's huge. There's millions of pump stations out there, and they're all degrading. Lots of water leakage. Uh, Robert Baxter, water's up. What? What's up? Nice little, nice little pun there. Keith Root and happy birthday, Riggs. Well, you still have six days. Uh, my birthday is the eighth, but I'm next Wednesday. And thank you very much. Uh, and. Uh, I, I don't feel 103 at all. Not at all. I feel great. So thank you for that. With that, I'm going to go ahead and get started. Water the Blue Gold. And it's uh, February the 2nd, briefing number 196. How we roll. All right. Usual disclaimers. You know the drill. Now, something's going on in real estate. And this is something that I didn't expect to have happen. They're calling it an Armageddon. What's this all about? Well, it turns out that. Um, there's been a problem with the commission structure due to a lawsuit that prohibits certain activities and the commission structure could eventually turn into the seller paying for both, both sides commissions, super weird. And so there's this whole rule about offering buyers, brokers, a commission, et cetera, and that actually inflates those costs. So, Basically, buyer's agents would no longer be in the, in the equation. And that's interesting. So I personally don't think this is going to happen. But um, this is one of those oddball things that happens in the industry that can affect it heavily. If we remove the buyer's agent's commission, you'll see the listing agent representing the buyer 90% of the transactions. It's called dual agency. Not healthy for the consumer, right? Because the buyer does not have representation anymore. Well, that's just to illustrate the continuing interesting stuff going on in um, real estate. And uh, speaking of which, we saw a quarter point increase in the uh, federal rate, which is actually less than expected. They're actually starting to slow down already. So even though it was up, 
It looked bad, but it was actually less than what they had threatened. So that means that rates are going to remain high, but we are, I think, going to see a, a cooling definitely, I think, by the early Q2, very definitely. So that's kind of what's going on with uh, the cost of money, which impacts real estate, as with many other things. All right. Dan Early sent me an email rather than pull up the, the, uh, the article he's talking about. Tom Liakos. Hello, everyone. Hello, Tom. Um, let's just take a look at what his comment is. So um, water scarcity and it focused on companies that are buying up land along the Colorado River to get the water rights. And supposedly that this is a future asset. See, right now, the way the uh, water industry works the only asset that people get their hands on is the water rights. All of the water treatment and recycling, there's not much done, but the recycling is done, is mostly under governmental control. And so this, the, you know, they're snapping up water rights for um, because of water scarcity. Well, that actually is a validation of how we are creating a, a revenue generating asset ourselves. And then um, they were said to water is the buzz for the 21st century, et cetera, et cetera. So, and this is this uh, last week I was covering how we have Aquatech. Aquatech's the new hot space. And in fact, Water on Bend is FinTech for Aquatech. It's kind of cool, isn't it? All right, and by the way, let me know if you like that. Um, uh, FinTech for Aquatech, it's kind of something we're playing with as a tagline for Water on Bend. Just pop it, pop it in the chat if you like, or uh, email me, CEO at originclear.com. All right. Now, there's an article on the Western drought. Will they collaborate? Um, this is interesting because I'm going to play this for you shortly, but my concern is that water rights are deeds. They're actually um, deeds in perpetuity. You know, you own a water right. It's called a taking in terms of the federal government doing takings, and takings have to be compensated. It could be very, very expensive. So let's take a look at, listen, it's a listen. Let's take a listen to the audio right now. Another deadline for the states near the Colorado River. They all agree they have to collectively cut how much water they draw. But months of negotiations have not produced a plan to share the pain. So now it is up to the Biden administration to find a fix. KUNC's Alex Hager has more. The Colorado feeds America's two biggest reservoirs, Lake Powell and Lake Mead. Both are now lower than they've ever been due to climate change. For years now, the 40 million people who rely on the river have been drawing more water out of the reservoirs than is coming back in by a lot. So something needs to be done. We've never been here before on the Colorado River, so we don't really know. Sarah Porter directs a water policy research center at Arizona State University. She says that if the seven states that share the river can't figure out how to use less, Lake Powell and Lake Mead will soon be too empty to run their massive hydroelectric turbines. It is possible that the states will not be able to come up with an agreement because what they have to agree to do is so very hard, getting water users within the state to agree to use less water. The Colorado River supplies big cities like Denver, Phoenix, and Los Angeles, but it also flows to the Southwest's multi-billion dollar agricultural sector. John Berggren studies water policy with the conservation group Western Resource Advocates. He says that has led to big tensions about who gets to use it. What you're talking about are people's livelihoods. If you're an irrigator or a rancher or a farmer, 
your water is your most important asset. Water managers say protecting the interests of everyone, cities and farmers from Wyoming to Mexico, is nearly impossible. Just ask Becky Mitchell, the top water negotiator from Colorado. We all have to be able to sell this, and it is really hard to sell something when there are winners and losers. Mitchell was speaking at a Colorado River conference in Las Vegas last month. There, states talked a big talk about needing a collective solution to this collective problem. But so far, they haven't come up with a plan. And if they don't produce an agreement by tomorrow, the federal government could impose its own cutbacks. I think there is some heavy optimism that hopefully everyone will come to something that we can all agree on but it is going to take mean real cuts to everyone. Felicia Marcus, a fellow at Stanford University's Water in the West Center, says it's no surprise that the seven states that share the Colorado haven't reached a solution on their own. You can't just put the parties in the room and think they're going to give their water away and figure it out. Somebody's got to come and say, how about this way? Marcus has worked with state and city water agencies in California and was in the EPA during the Clinton administration. She says it's a bad look to come back to your constituents saying you volunteered to give up water. But if the feds are the ones who asked for the cutbacks, states can blame a higher power. The beauty for the value of that 800-pound gorilla stepping in is that it gives people either the motivation or the cover to make the decisions that the gorilla probably wishes those people could make on their own, but that you really can't expect them to be able to. The federal government hasn't been in a hurry to be the gorilla. It's mostly stayed out of Colorado River management, instead offering carrots and sticks for the states to figure out how to pull less water from the reservoirs. In the case of the Colorado, This is definitely a case of everybody hanging together or all hanging separately. Whether the states come up with a solution or one is imposed by the Biden administration, it will likely end up in court. Meanwhile, despite some heavy rain and snow this winter, the Colorado's supply is still far less than the demand for water. For NPR News, I'm Alex Hager in Fort Collins, Colorado. There we go. So um, this is why it's so important. Our mission is so important because... We can actually improve the water supply by implementing recycling through water decentralization. It's one of those reasons why businesses would do their own water treatment is that they get to have more water to work with. So this is extremely political. It's going to take years. Meanwhile, you'll see the reservoirs will hit bottom. It's going to happen. We're going there. Uh, So it's really important what we go ahead with this stuff. And I have a note from... um, Dwight DeBacker said, in the area of fintech for, for Aquatech, our innovation could integrate with your objectives. We can optimize water production and offer a series of valuable community-based services, et cetera, et cetera. So yes, Dwight, we will connect. That's amazing. So it sounds like uh, fintech for Aquatech does resonate because there certainly is at the root of all production is capital, right? So, and we've already seen that Aquatech players are saying, everything's great, it's wonderful, technology is wonderful, but where's the money, right? So there we go. All right. Excellent. Thank you, Dwight. We'll follow up. Okay. Continuing. Gary Tan. I wanted to play this because even though it's a general piece, but it's it's really good. Well, you'll see. You'll see. I, I think it's really interesting. We all want to build something that catches lightning in a bottle, but can you hold onto it long enough to make it the company in your space? This is the most remarkable restaurant I've seen in all my years in the food service industry, and I've seen it all. I want to hear your story. 
Today, we're talking about the two huge milestones every founder who makes it has to figure out. Catching lightning in a bottle and holding onto it. What starts like this, lightning first captured, a rare miracle, can become this, a powerful machine that harnesses lightning into something that can touch everybody on the planet. And if you watch to the end, you'll find out which of those two stages is more valuable. Let's get started. How do you catch lightning in a bottle? It's a big mystery, but in the case of McDonald's, it was the original founders who figured out something magical. They had an idea and it blew all of our minds. Here you are. How the heck did you come up with this? Oh, I didn't, we did. Dick McDonald, my brother. When you're making something from nothing, there is a moment where you have to figure something out, the spark of genius, and then that spark becomes lightning. And you were gonna love how we did it, Dick. You gotta tell him. The tennis court? Okay, he brings me out to this tennis court and he's drawn this line, the exact dimensions of our kitchen. Sink on the right, extruder on the left. Okay. And Dick is running around with this stick, marking where all the equipment should be. Tuck in. Tony, are you gonna skip the pickles when we're really doing it? Yes. No. No. Catch up. Here's your lazy Susan. <laughs> and pickles and pickle and mustard. The speedy system is born and it's off to the races. The speedy system was how the McDonald's brothers did it. By measuring time and motion and literally trying it out in person, live on a blacktop, they prototyped something that had never been done before. It's time to lean, it's time to clean. Go. They didn't just create fast food as we know it, they had to invent all the things that we take for granted that didn't exist back then. So one of the things they did was they created a little machine, like a flour sifter looking kind of thing that they would just push a button and the right amount of ketchup would drop right onto the bun every time. Now where'd you get those? We made them. Made them? Yeah, custom built. Full kitchen is. It's a really incredible story because it shows you the excitement of this company at the beginning. And? And what it must have felt like to stumble on this for a businessman like Ray Kroc. A fresh, delicious burger from Grill to Counter in 30 seconds. Now, while the brothers created this system and caught lightning, it was an entirely different person who came along who found a way to hold that lightning and harness it to build the future. That man was Ray Kroc, and this is what it was like for him to experience McDonald's for the very first time. Hi, welcome to McDonald's. May I take your order? Yeah, give me a uh, hamburger and french fries and a Coca-Cola. That'd be 35 cents, please. Great. Fifteen cents is your change. Here you are. What's this? Your food. No, no, no. I just ordered. And now it's here. You sure? All right. Where are the, uh, you know, silverware and the plates and everything? You just eat it straight out of the wrapper and then throw it all out. All right. 
Croc decided sometime around then, eventually, he had to buy McDonald's and bring it to the world. It did mean buying out the original founders to try to realize his own vision for the brand and the restaurant. And as he scaled McDonald's, he said, perfection is very difficult to achieve. And perfection was what I wanted in McDonald's. Everything else was secondary for me. Ray Kroc's vision of the McDonald's future was endless, was boundless. Now, there is a view out there that I don't entirely agree with that says Ray Kroc was some kind of villain. I don't think that's the real lesson for you and me. Founders have to realize there are truly two totally different parts to building something that can change the world. The first part is the genius of the McDonald's brothers going from zero to one. That stage requires a brilliance of a particular kind, bottom-up resourcefulness, and a willingness to diverge from how it was always done. The second part, harnessing that energy and bringing it to the world requires almost a totally different skill set. That requires you to scale something unique and valuable to becoming the ultimate winner, even in an extremely competitive space. You can't really get more competitive than fast food, in my opinion. Ray Kroc said, nothing in the world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. Persistence and determination alone are omnipotent. The McDonald's Croc story is more common than we care to admit. Reed Hastings was chairman and investor of Netflix before becoming CEO later. Elon Musk did the same for Tesla. It turns out some of the most famous business people today that you and I know started as investors who later realize they have to come in to make sure the market is secured. The McDonald's brothers made $2.7 million in 1961, which in today's value is about $27 million. Ray Kroc's widow inherited over $500 million in 1984, or about $1.4 billion in today's value adjusted for inflation. If you're looking for what is valuable, at least by market standard, this is a very counterintuitive thing. Now, inspiration is valuable, but execution and winning in a crowded marketplace is sometimes, and in this case, worth far more. Ideas are always a multiplier on execution. And that's a weird thing for founders, especially who really focus on zero to one. Catching lightning in a bottle is far more rare, but execution, it turns out, is far more valuable. But if you're a zero to one founder like me, not all is lost. Some of the most amazing founders I've met, like Brian Armstrong at Coinbase or Brian Chesky at Airbnb, they've been able to do both. But you have to know, it's like shooting a bullseye twice, back to back, it's that hard. Know what stage you're in at any given time, finding lightning in a bottle or holding onto it. And knowing that will let you work accordingly. If there's a lesson, maybe it's this. The only thing harder than catching lightning in a bottle is holding on to it. I'll see you next week.
Well, that is really, really interesting. There's several different foundings that have occurred, but um, the ones that are currently super relevant are um, when we brought in the founder, Van Early, and gave him a home, and now he transitioned into execution. He's done a marvelous job of executing. Stats have just taken off. And in fact, you know, I can promise to do this in my CEO update today, so I, I'm supposed to actually do that which is to show you some of the revised stats, which I'll do in the 13 seconds here because it's important. The new 2023 investor presentation, which is on our website in the investor section. Um, I'm just gonna go straight to the graphs, which is the only major part that's been updated so far. Here we go. All right, so right there, existing operating units. We have now uh, a forecast still. This is not a final, but it's a, it's a good forecast. 2022 will come in just over $9 million, it looks like, which is more than double of 2021. Pretty astonishing. And then the forecasts after that will occur incrementally. Now, whether they notice that we're not assuming they'll double again, that's too much of an assumption. Because part of what goes on is as you grow, you have to keep uh, adding more resources. For example, Dan Early really needs a fabricator to get him so he can, he can get himself to 20 to $30 million a year. He's got the potential business, but he's got to have the fabrication network for those plastic, uh, blown plastic um, receptacles, you might say. Anyway, so um, let's take a look at some of the breakdowns here. So PWT is the green line, and they took off nicely. And as you can see, the, the, the blue squares there, that's um, modular water systems growing. So we had to live through 2018 with almost nothing, and then as you can see, we finally got just short of a million on 2021. And then in 2022, looks like we'll end up having had about um, close to $2 million from modular water alone with Veramod was previously part of the 966. So you could say that it's more, more than, it looks like it's tripled there. So PWT tripled its orders, driving a 2X revenue forecast, MWS, uh, got order growth there, which is driving la the latent or the later years revenue growth. And finally, the pump station line being broken out. And because it's scoring some amazing national accounts, which are very good for steady business. And we've been adding engineers like Mark Mazaket, And that has um, enabled Dan to not be so focused on engineering. But now we need to build a fabricated network. And what we want to do is acquire a fabricator. We know who it is. Okay, so let's take a look at uh, profits. Now, um, as you can see, operating profits of the units were, were negative or just barely positive. Uh, you know, that's $1,000 in 2019, $22,000 negative in 2020, and then boom, it suddenly became profitable. So they are really starting to take off. For a long time, we had, MWS was very, very expensive for us because we had to carry them. Uh, which meant that Tom Marchesello, who runs all these units amazingly, this is his work, was being paid by our investors, right? Now that's paying off. Okay, let's take a quick look at the uh, five-year forecast. And here we have water on demand coming in. And that really, you see the, the green is the 25% distributions. Here's the revenues in gray. And there's the profit. It becomes quite profitable, notice why. Because we're not trying to make money from machines. We're making money from money, which is a different kind of margin. And this is consolidated, all the units. So what on demand is the red, and then there's everything else, which almost doubles. So what on demand is almost half of the total, more than half of the total. 
and then uh, the consolidated operating profit, which we calculated this on purpose with water on demand. If you look back on the operating units, they're profitable already. So really what it is, is we've injected a negative uh, profit line with water on demand Inc., which is what we get there. And there's some other factors as well. So that's what that looks like. So I just wanted to um, you know, cover these items to show you that I'm super proud of the execution. And so founders go zero to one, and then the execution guys goes one plus, right? Zero to one is very hard, but, but and, and much more unique. But I can, there's so many people out there who are founders who did the zero to one, but they weren't able to do the one plus. You got to combine the two. And that's really where we're executing today. We have the, the modular water systems tech, which has now been executed. So we have a zero to one plus a one plus situation going on. And then we have the water on demand financial model, again, which was created by uh, Ken and myself during the COVID era and, and following. And there's all kinds of interesting stories about that. And then now we're in the one plus with the help of the operating people. And I'm going to now do a quick interview. The gentleman who is on board as operations manager. Let's go ahead and play that. Good afternoon. Welcome, Colin Sherman, to the CEO briefing. I think this is like the 196th one and in, in, uh, basically started in late 2019. And little did we know, of course, that it was going to turn into the major way everybody communicate. Uh, thank you for having me on the program. What I do in the company is I'm the, I'm the project manager or production manager to ensure that we deliver to the client what he requires and, uh, and that it's done on time and within budget. Um, that's basically what I, what I do. Well, uh, what, uh, in your own words, qualifies you? What's your background? Where did you come, where'd you come from? How, how did you uh, sell yourself to Origin Clear? Okay. So um, I was born and educated in South Africa, Johannesburg and Cape Town. Um, I began out in the chartered accounting space, uh, moved into, into uh, business management, um, and then... Basically, uh, all my time in South Africa was involved in financial management. Okay. Um, I then uh, emigrated to Australia in 2085, and that took me into the project management realm. I just happened to fall into it. Uh, when I arrived there, they were just implementing the general sales tax. Mm. And having come from a country that had the tax, uh, I became a subject matter expert, as, as it were, and, uh, and got involved in implementing projects in government, government agencies, public companies, etc. That's what I did for 25 years, and, uh, and I've been a project manager uh, till I emigrated here in 2018. And my projects varied from all sorts of things, implementing um, electronic ticketing, building levees, flood levees, <laughs> all sorts of things. Wow, that's cool. That's interesting yeah. because a lot of engineering involved. A lot of engineering. And I did one or two civils projects as well, so which was very interesting. Like what, what kind of civil engineering? When we were implementing the uh, electronic ticketing system on the heavy rail system, mm -hmm. every single platform on the network 
had to be changed. Yeah. And that involved a lot of civil engineering, electrical engineering. It was a $1.4 billion project, so it was oh, okay. fairly large. Decent size. So good. So you've got a background in finance, financial management, project management, civil engineering. And uh, this is why we like you being on board is because you're not just, you know, we, we have water specialists. We have plenty of those. But as you know, we've made a decision that we're going to let local water companies do the building of these systems. The real challenge at the level of management and water demand is contract management, project management, getting compliance from the partners, making sure that the service level agreement is met and all that. And that's why I felt it was very good to have someone who was accustomed to dealing with these upper level problems as opposed to, yes, you probably should learn how to install a filter. But since we've delegated that, it's more important to know how to run the network, which is, I think, the background we're talking about. Correct. So with that that in mind, Colin, uh, I know that you just started recently. In fact, I think you're, I think something like today or tomorrow is your <laughs> full-time employment. Yeah. Last couple of weeks. Welcome aboard. Right now where we stand is, um, I know they've been reporting to our audience that we have four or five projects uh, that we're working on for What On Demand. I think we're, I think one is really well along, right? What's happening with that first one there? Well, well, the first one, we've had some requests for additional information, which we have given them. And, uh, and we're just waiting for a reply. If they, if they have any more, then we are happy to give it to them. But we definitely down the, far down the road on that. And um, we are hoping to have that in the bag one day. In fact, that, that extra request was for an early buyout clause, which we learned is popular. And you know what's ironic is that I was designing early buyout clauses in 2020 when we were working on something called Investor Water. That was an earlier version of Water on Demand. And investor Water was a way that investors could invest directly into their own machinery, and there would be a buyout clause and so forth. Now, directly in, in, in a water system is as regulatory issues, which is why we do we now do buckets. That's a whole other story. Water demand became more like a like a uh, cluster of projects that people invest in. But oh, long short wow. is we're learning all the little pieces of what people need and want out of these water as a service type projects. So this client seems to be well qualified, funded, ready in principle to go ahead. And then I know that there's some new ones that have come that are even much larger. I heard something about like a $65 million project or something like that. Correct. And we've already had negotiations with our uh, maintenance and um, control people. That's a separate resource that we use. And they're very, very excited about that as well. These are going to be fantastic projects going forward. And our partner, of course, as we know, as we've announced, is, is Envirogen. And now they're very, very professional, and I'm, I'm very, very impressed with them and what they have to offer. That is a prime role of yours, because we have up here, we have one of them with, which has money, capital, and the contracting process and the project management process. And then we have execution down here, which typically is going to be by other companies. And you sit right there at that connector Nexus, that's right. Nexus is a good word. So that you are basically the person who's ensuring that the client commitment is met, 
at the service level agreement of you know x amount of suspended particles or whatever arsenic whatever the the requirement is are met and if not of course then we have to take action and so forth and so that makes you kind of an important person with the general manager manuel able to focus on client interaction and negotiations and you're kind of pulling things away from him right correct and he's got time now to to market and sell the product and and i can get the job done and that's, that's what i've been brought on for well that's exactly what i had in mind when we were speaking colin i know we've, we've talked for a long time and <laughs> yeah. I finally felt the time was right to bring you on. So it's a great pleasure, Colin, to welcome you to the to the company, this, this new company, Water on Demand. And uh, we can't wait to see some projects come out the other end. Like, like real estate, it takes time. You have to, you know, you have to do a lot of action. So it's not an overnight process, but I'm delighted to hear that it's well underway. And thank you for getting me on board. I enjoy the management team they really a great bunch of professionals we have great resources in the fabrication side in our organization we have great support on the maintenance side and and i think this is going to turn out very very well colin thank you so much i look forward to great things thank you thank you for having me thank you my friend okay That was Colin Sherman. And um, okay, Uh, Ken is busy teasing people about a book because I was talking about the process of creating water on demand over two years and so forth. And he's just going, stay tuned. He's being very mysterious. What's going on is that, um, as you know, we reported constantly in these briefings on the process from the very beginning. And so what we're doing here is we're collating all the materials into essentially a as-it-occurred type book. And my brother, Stephen Eckleberry, who's our videographer, has volunteered to pull it all together. The problem we have is we keep having more developments. In other words, where does the story end? But uh, I think that we can start we can start thinking of what, will, what we expect will happen later this year, which of course I can't discuss, um, as being maybe where we get to. Who knows? But it's super exciting. Okay, so with that, uh, I want to show you a report on what has been, what the deals are. Of course, I've removed names. I've redacted it. David Johnson, very happy to see additional key resource accountable to make what WD happen. Absolutely. Yes. Well, staffing up is key, but it's got to be the right people. And I'm very happy about Colin. He's he's a veteran. All right. Uh, quick update. Here we go. Uh, this came in this morning. Um, so there's a administrative facility in a, uh, I can't say what kind of complex it is. It would give away too much. But um, it is in Texas, and that's 1.2 million for basically these administrative buildings, these standalone buildings. And it's kind of crappy the way it's done right now. I'm, I use the word crappy as an unintended pun. As you can see, these water on demand things, the, um, the initial fees are very small, like $9,500, but the CapEx is what they get to avoid. And um, now, are the our partners who are working on this for us, because again, we're working with uh, channel partners to tell us how this is going. Okay, that's number one. Number two is one in Texas where we submitted a proposal, 1.35 million, 40,000 gallons per day, two phases. And Mark Mazaket, who is the pro- program manager in Modular Water Systems, um, has been talking about the decision this week or very soon. So that's a really good one. 
Another opportunity that, that Varage has been working on for years, but lacked the capital. See, this is where these things are kind of hung up at the water company level. And there's a ton of hauling going on here. And the idea is instead of hauling $5 million worth of water, mostly water in trucks, then it only requires one, one of two trucks instead of 18. And as capital costs would be 10 to 12 million. They like the DBOO idea, design, build, own, operate, which is our, our paper gallon thing. And Envirogen will operate it, and then we're going to fabricate it so it's a hybrid. So this is interesting because looks like there's going to be a couple of months of due diligence and testing. Okay. And then finally, there are two opportunities that may develop, um, and that is where that $65 million came thing, thing came in. All right. So that is that. And um, Dwight is trying to guess what it is. Well, I'm not telling what it is. Well, that actually brings me to a halt. I had I did a podcast today, 17 minutes, but rather than overcrowd this briefing, I'll run it next week. So with that, I want to invite my friend, my friend Ken. And hey, we got a lot of people in this show. We got a bunch of people. So jam-packed. And and here I was trying to be mysterious and you it's all good you know it was funny while you were going over that project that last project the first thing that caught my eye and when i described this to investors is like the guy spending 5.5 million dollars hauling away what's 90 percent water nine percent water okay right 99 percent water um so you got to figure the net savings on that thing is what Four to five million dollars a year. Oh, unquestionably, it's, it's right. Yeah. So yeah. and and avoiding so like so in other words, you know, back when you had to sell high ticket items, you had to go, Mr. Jones. It's one. I'm going to save you a million dollars a year for the next ten years, right? And it's just going to cost you a million dollars up front. The guy goes, "That's great. The only thing I don't have is the million dollars, right?" So the ability to bring in I mean, just incredible opex savings to these businesses, which is I mean, some of this stuff is an existential threat to these businesses, right? Um, to be able to alleviate that enormous OPEX and deliver it without a CapEx, you know, um, you can't sell that, go home, right? So I, I think that as the, as, the, as the market starts to become adjusted to the fact that this is even available, because I, I, I really believe right now 99.9% .9 of the industry, of the market, doesn't even know this solution exists yet. And I believe that there'll be a network effect that'll take place that's super exciting. Yeah, and, and this is where things will start accelerating. And, and we're using this period now where we're not over-marketing because we, we really need to make sure the process is locked. And sure. Manuel and, and, and Colin get the whole thing done working with the engineers at PWT and NWS. So that's all that's all happening. But I, I'm going to trot out an old joke that I uh, that I sometimes tell, which is they've uh, invented 50% of the anti-gravity chair. Right. They have the chair. They have the chair, right. Yeah. This is the problem people have. They have a project, but there's no way they can get the capital. And right. so we are basically the equivalent of anti-gravity for these. Right. Right. No, they've got a chair and we can make it float. Right. And that's really a, a really cool way. I thought you were going to say, if you don't come in Saturday, don't bother coming in Sunday. I thought that was going to be your, that was going to be good for your no, job. This is not good. That's your, oh, right. That's right. That's that. It wasn't useful here. But um, it was also really nice to see that Envirogen um, is, is now starting to um, 
kind of become a, a a focal point of a lot of these projects, which um, this 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 is exciting. I mean, this is just really just weeks and, and it's already starting to kind of the tires are starting to grab. So uh, I'm very much looking forward to what we'll be able to discuss with these folks in the back end of this year. It's going to be very exciting stuff. Yes, uh, it's too bad that we have to do so much teasing about the things we can talk about. And they won't have to wait for the book to come out. Right. Well, anyway, you know, you know, somebody told me the other day, remarked the other day that instead of reading people's books, just listen to their podcasts. Well, at this point, right. That's where we are. Yeah. I mean, books, what are those? So uh, really important to uh, speak to Ken, because remember that slots are limited on the royalty. Once we're done with the royalty um, pool, there's going to be no more. We're going to go to Wall Street. Uh, we intend to go to Wall Street institutional investment, which is less expensive. But we need you guys and gals now because Wall Street looks like, well, you don't have a fully scaled up, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, that's true. You know, so that's the yeah. same, same problem that Elon Musk went through when he had that famous, you know, Christmas time when he basically had to go to his best friends and just throw it all in. Right. Well, that's what we have today with this team uh, of investors. Once that's established, then getting the the Me Too's on board is like no. Well, by by the time right by the time the Me Too comes on, the premium is enormous, right? Um, so we're 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 approaching this from such a significant discount. The other thing I would also talk about is the reason that the first twenty million is important with those royalties. You saw that upward green line, right? If you track that thing for a long time, that's going to be a huge number. As we go institutional, institutional investors aren't really in, in, in it for an ROI like a REIT, okay? They want those numbers, that green, they want that to reflect in future stock price because they're not really thinking, they're not looking at water on demand and saying, okay, well, what are you guys going to do next quarter? You know, where Apple, you know, has disappointing numbers and drops $40 a share. That's not what they're looking at. They're looking at what can these numbers rep re represent or reflect in future stock price in five to 10 years. Sure. So I think that, that that's where cutting this off at the 20 million mark really gives enough investors enough app, you know uh, opportunity but it still allows for the rest of it to be distributed into share price in the long run you got it right my friend well uh i just want to comment that uh janet wilkeman says books are for burning just kidding uh she says um coletta sharp says i appreciate you both kings thank you ma'am i appreciate that so wonderful uh feedback James Wright, very excited about how well things are developing. Thank you for the wonderful work. Oh, wait, we'll be able to tell James Wright some good news soon, won't we? He's been patiently, patiently. I mean, this James, you, you just, you have been like a saint. We'll, we'll have something to report. Days, <laughs> weeks. No, months. who knows? Who knows? We'll have something to report. Okay. Uh, yes, something will happen one of these days that may be fun. Right. <laughs> it's funny to be so muzzled, but it, you, you guys, guys and gals understand how it is. Bob Bruce, speaking of books, I paid $20 plus for a book on water some years ago and never did receive any, anything. Do any of you know what I'm talking about? Interesting. That's a riddle. We're going to have to take that offline. But anyway, thank you very much, everyone. It's been wonderful. We have a big crew this time. Uh, thank you for the vote of confidence. You are marvelous. And uh, James Wright continues to talk wonderful things here, but I'm going to let him go. Thank you, everyone. And uh, next week, Craig, 
Craig Allen Reeser, you raised your hand. Um, we can't, if, if you want to type in a quick question, um, if not, you can send your, send your question to uh, investatoriginclear.com. With that, I am going to wrap it up um, and we'll do some fun stuff next week. Um, I've got that podcast I shot the, today, which is very, very relevant to what we're doing. And then we'll have some more interesting things to discuss. Do join us. It gets more exciting each week. Thank you, Ken. Everyone have a great weekend. Good night, folks.